Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Mitchell Cohen. He is the um, he coordinates the No Spray Coalition Against Pesticides in New York City, which successfully sued the city government over its indiscriminate spraying of toxic pesticides. Today, we're discussing his book, The Fight Against Monsanto's Roundup, The Politics of Pesticides. Mitchell, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So what inspired you to put this book together? Well, for years, we've been fighting here in New York City against the mass spraying of pesticides that they were using. They were using originally malathion and other pesticides to kill mosquitoes that were said to be causing West Nile virus. And in the course of, course of all that, uh, a number of our people who were involved died and involved who were being sprayed, whose apartments areas were being sprayed, and the entire city was drenched in spraying. And there's a whole chapter in the book about that whole fight. And in the course of that, we began to make the connections between genetically engineered food and the spraying of glyphosate and Roundup, actually, and which Roundup contains more in it than just glyphosate alone. And we got really concerned about that. And so that was one arm of putting together this book. The other arm was that I had coordinated an effort in New York to people who were in public schools, who their children back in the 90s, in the late 90s, were being given milk, but that had bovine growth hormone recombinant BGH in it that was made by Monsanto. And so we organized this big fight, leafletting schools, letting people know that they shouldn't, their children should not be given this type of milk without any protest. And they protested to the Board of Education and the purchasers of this milk, and that fight went along too. So you put these two streams together, and we have this large battle brewing against Monsanto, which seemed to be and is one of the biggest players in the world located out in St. In St. Louis, New, uh, Missouri, in terms of producing both genetic engineering of crops and also the pesticides that are being sprayed on them. And so we take, took a look at that, and we were obviously very concerned. And it was also a movement that has been building up all over the country against pesticides, people getting poisoned. And so we began to do this book, pulling it together, as well as our activism. Uh, The book is subtitled The Politics of Pesticides, which is a little bit different than only will it kill me if I eat it, but why are they doing it? What is going on around the world? How come... They're producing this and allowed to produce this stuff, and nobody is stopping them, including people in Europe, and including uh, Germany and France has come out against it strongly. 
Mm-hmm. Germany and France were going back and forth. Uh, strangely, one of the places that has blocked the production of genetic engineering and also the spraying of these kind of pesticides is Russia, of all places, with Vladimir Putin saying he wants it genetically engineered free in Russia. And there may be trade reasons for that or whatever the reasons are. And also in Venezuela, where you know, both in the targets of the U.S. right now, where President Maduro in Venezuela has said they don't want genetically engineered food or seeds planted in Venezuela and are moving to block that, and also so in it- Mexico. So there's this whole big movement that's happening around the world, and all those countries are in the target of one arm, or it seems, of the U.S. government. So the collaboration between the government and the industry are really profound, and it's scary. And as we look, so we looked into that, and we found lots of interesting things that some of the people, we call it a revolving door, where some of the people who were chosen by Clinton and Gore and subsequent presidents, Bush, and now Obama, and now also under Trump, they're all coming from industry, and they're all part of the same group of, not a large number of, but the same group of people and representing corporations. So they go between the Food and Drug Administration and the government and making the laws and regulations, and then back to industry again, and back and forth. And it's shocking it's absolutely outrageous that this is allowed to go on. And the rest of the world sort of doesn't really accept it, but, you know, they allow it to go on and take as credible what some of the U.S. agencies are putting out there without further checking themselves. Well, before we go into the politics, can you just tell us what the concerns with um, the, the pesticides are? Sure. Well, the particular pesticide that we're addressing here, Monsanto, uh, there was just a lawsuit, major lawsuit in California by Dwayne Johnson, who won his lawsuit, a mammoth lawsuit uh, against Monsanto. And he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so the lawsuit was fighting out whether or not the pesticide causes the, the uh, lymphoma or not, and glyphosate is an endocrine disruptor, so it, it, it attacks the whole endocrine system in the body. So whether or not it causes non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, that was the center of this court case, and Monsanto lost, and there's a huge loss, and they were hit by a fine of a quarter of a billion dollars to pay to this one individual, Dwayne Johnson, who is a janitor in a school in California who was told to spray the Roundup around the school grounds where little kids were going to be affected by it even more than adults. And he ended up developing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and is dying from it now. And so that's one of the main concerns around that, of health concerns, which is the development of these cancers. And, there, of course, there are a lot of other concerns, neurological diseases, 
and so forth. But so, what what would happen to a child who's was exposed to the pesticides, say at school, because they're outside playing, and and you know, and of course the lawns will be sprayed. Um, what would happen to them? Well, I, as I understand it, I'm not a doctor on this stuff. We have a Dr. Martha Herbert writing in the book, and also Patricia Wood writing in the book who talk about these sort of things. Uh, what would happen to children? What would happen? Uh, why is it so more dangerous and how? But they're thinking the cholinesterase would be inhibited and which in turn would keep them from thinking. And it lodges in the fat cells of the body and it stays with you for the rest of your life pretty much and it just gets worse and worse as it builds up over time. So it caused, and it could kill the kids too. So we were, um, then one of the things that we were addressing in New York, it's not only the spraying the crops, the genetically engineered crops for, uh, if you look out in the Midwest here, as you know, in Canada, there's miles and miles and miles of corn, genetically engineered corn, genetically engineered soy. It just goes on and on. And then they spray those because it's all monocropped these days is factory farming is and it goes so the spraying just happens over this huge area and the crops themselves are resistant to other uh, sorry the crops themselves are subject to all sorts of diseases themselves that wash right through it without any way of breaking it so anyway back to the children so yeah the children can develop cancers and they develop neurological ailments and they can't stop thinking or their thinking slows down and it's and it's not only um, it's not only the spray in those areas in New York City they and in lots of other places they were using Roundup and similar pesticides or herbicides to for cosmetic reasons not even necessary at all to just kill what they call weeds. They don't want the weeds around, so they spray the weeds and they kill the weeds. But that, in turn, children ride through that on their bicycles near the school or people in wheelchairs roll through it and they take it into their classrooms and into their, or into their houses with their bikes, their apartments. And it's quite so things that we don't normally think about, how things get carried from one place to another. Well, they're being carried from one place to the other, but it's also sprayed on food. So, you know, we're just talking about them playing out in a park. But, um, you know, the big thing of Monsanto is that they claim they're going to feed the world with their GMO crops and, and their Roundup. Is that something that's happening right now? Well, Are they, are they feeding not. the world? <laughs> <laughs> if you ask Jimmy Carter, former president of the United States, who's a big Opponent of genetic engineering, he says, yes, he, we're doing this to feed the world. In reality, there's plenty of this. It's not true, first of all. It's just totally a lie, as so much of this is a lie. And the new documents that were unearthed in the course of the, the trial in California revealed all sorts of stuff that they even knew about this ahead of time. So, yeah, it's not feeding the world in any shape or form. What it's doing is destroying the biodiversity in the world, destroying what people themselves had produced over millennia, 
in Mexico, the corn and other areas, different crops that are being destroyed. So the food is being that people had grew up had grown up with is now gone to some extent and what's being replaced is production of export crops, which is why they're doing it. So they could take whole tracts of land away from small farmers, peasant farmers all over the world to produce these massive uh, export crop production facilities, or they call them farms, but they're hardly farms, and to send them out in the rest of the world. So that's, what, that's part of what the fight is, a large part. Uh, well, so um, you, you mentioned about the biodiversity, and we don't have to go into a lot of detail because I've done shows just on uh, on that topic um, of what's happening to our farmland, but I think it is important to touch on it a little bit. Um, what happens when we spray pesticides into not just for, like any any earth? What happens? Well, kills everything in that ground, in the soil. The pesticides are neurological chemicals that kill off the earthworms that make the humus and that churn the soil and form natural fertilizers. And it kills the bees and butterflies, which are needed for pollination. It is a horror, as I'm sure you and your listeners already know. So I don't, I'm not going to assume that people don't know that. We know that already, right? Well, yeah, we, we do. I learned a lot doing um, my shows with David Montgomery and, and Gabe Brown in the last year. Um, it's, you know, I knew that pesticides weren't great, but I, I wanted to learn more. And um, what I think people don't understand is, especially, I mean, even I get farmers in here or just people that don't know, like I didn't know, um, what, what you know, we're actually damaging the earth. And, and most people now, most farmers are finding that, you know, their land is, is dead. And, and you have this in your book as well. We've killed the soil. We don't have what we, the bacteria and the fungi and the pesticides and everything that we need to actually help plants grow. So we've not only killed the weeds, but we've killed everything. So we're poisoning ourselves and we're poisoning our, our earth. And, you know, well, I, well, I'd, like to, yeah. I'd like to just, uh, yes, I agree with you. Yeah. And it's great to hear you talking about this, but I wanted to just put in a slight different way of framing it. We are not poisoning ourselves. They are poisoning us. Mm-hmm. And it's the giant chemical companies with the collaboration of the U.S. government and other governments that are doing this. And we need to fight to stop that. And so that when you see it that way or frame it that way, it creates a different sort of fight back. How, do, how does one fight back against mm-hmm. this? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it is a different way of looking at it because I think it gives us more power as well to know that, that there is something that we can do about it and I want to talk about the politics um, when we get back from this break we're talking today with Mitchell Cohen and we're discussing his book The Fight Against Monsanto's Roundup The Politics of Pesticides and we'll be back shortly Your life, your health, your network You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Everything is energy. It's all connected. Your energy can be seen as the foundation for your life and impacts all areas of living. Do you realize that your thoughts have the power to affect how you show up? Tune in for Healthy Energy with Margo, featuring host Margo Nielsen. Margo and her guests will show you that connecting to your energy is vital to your health, relationships, money, and more. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Mitchell Cohen. We're discussing his book, The Fight Against Monsanto's Roundup. So, Mitchell, of course, right before the break, you said, you know, I, I had the faux pas of saying we're poisoning ourselves. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about human race here, but you pointed out that this is a corporation. So wh- why is this still happening? If we know, you know, we just have this case of Dwayne Johnson. He won against Monsanto. Um, and and we we have a lot of studies showing that, that this is dangerous. Why are we still doing it? Good question. So... In Dwayne Johnson's case, that was an example of a quarter of a billion dollar penalty. That's billion penalty that they Monsanto was found guilty of and and told they had to pay, and that's been reduced subsequently by the judge. But it's still substantial. And in the past few years, and I'm getting around to a- answering your question, uh, Bayer company, makers of aspirin, they bought Monsanto for $62 billion, and even knowing that they had all these liabilities out against Monsanto company, there's about a trillion dollars worth of lawsuits right now against Monsanto. That was potential penalties should these nine or 10,000 cases uh, go to trial and be found Similarly to Dwayne Johnson, where the chemi- where the co- company would be liable, so that's a trillion dollars possibly, and yet Bayer was willing to risk that. And then we have Dow Chemical and Dupont merging as well. So we have Bayer and Monsanto now, Dow and Dupont, and Syngenta is merging with Chem China, and that's already been consolidated. 
and Syngenta itself was a merger several years ago with Novartis and other companies, Sandoz, Siba, Geige, and Zeneca. So what we're seeing is that all these, not small but large but many companies are now all merging together or being bought by the other, and there are only three or four major corporations now, giant corporations left in the world who are, that are producing these pesticides and genetically engineering crops that use those pesticides. So these crops are not, you could say that they're resistant to being sprayed with the pesticides, or you could say that they're saturated with them and that it's just totally poisoned. So what we're seeing is a consolidation of the industry, which happens a lot in all sorts of capitalist industries. But this way, is, we're talking about trillion dollars, a couple of trillion dollars. And I guess Bayer merged with Monsanto, was willing to spend the billions of dollars in order to be able to compete with these other corporations that are merging. And so what are we, your question was, what are we going to do about it? I forget. <laughs> oh, why, why is it still going <laughs> well, why, why, why is this right. not been banned, I guess? Because nobody cares about capitalism. <laughs> I shouldn't say nobody cares about it. But this is the... The one layer of this whole thing is the, these mergers of corporations and how they fight to protect their own money interests of themselves and their people who invest in it. And so the fight back has to be multifaceted. And we're not fighting back in the U.S. We're not fighting back sufficiently, although we're starting to. Unlike, say, in France, where they fought back, or in parts of Africa, where people fought back for strongly, or in Vietnam, which is banning the use of uh, some pesticides now in Vietnam, with its whole history of being sprayed with Agent Orange and whole forests being poisoned. And that's one of the themes in my book that I try to bring out that's somewhat different or it's in addition to what other people have done. Some of the other work here has been fantastic. Carrie Gillum's stuff is great and uh, just eye-opening. And there's a, a subject to it that I try to add, which is what is happening in the world outside of the United States, outside of Canada. What's happening out there that's both why they're using the chemicals and the genetic engineering and control of the seeds. So there's a whole attempt being made to control all the all. This is amazing. All the seeds that are being planted around the world, and it will take some time to do that, but can control the land by these private corporations. And there's a way of privatizing the land, setting up export zones instead of farming for local consumption. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that's happening, and there's very powerful forces that we're up against. And it's dangerous so, for people. So, so I'll, I'll give you one more example of this recent that I brought up last night in a talk where Vandana Shiva was, and uh, it was just, and Timothy Wise and his new book, 
which is also very good. It's a lot about Africa and how Africa is being colonized and recolonized through genetic engineering and through pesticides. And in the U.S., all of a sudden, you know, I've been asking, what's in it for Bayer? How come they are willing to spend all this money to, with all the liabilities to buy Monsanto? And it just, we just learned that Monsanto has now genetically engineered marijuana crops. So that in the U.S., they're parts of the U.S. We've been fighting here in the U.S. to legalize marijuana for years, and it's starting to happen. And just as that's happening, all the marijuana in the world that Monsanto hopes to control will be genetically engineered and, as a result, sprayed with certain pesticides so that it can grow to their liking and so they could export it all over the world. And so that's... uh, that's a lucrative area that Bayer is betting will become, uh, you know, they would make a fortune off of that. So that's part of what the fight is. And it's also that a lot of us in the movement, you know, we, because of the frameworks that we use, we, we're trusting people, which is a wonderful thing. We trust that, well, they couldn't kill us. They wouldn't do this to us knowingly. But it turns out that they are doing it knowingly. Or even if they didn't know about it, but they are. So that there's now been found the Seralini studies in France of glyphosate and Roundup. So they looked at Roundup, these scientific researchers, and they found that all of a sudden that there's all this arsenic in crops that is sprayed with Roundup, which is totally different. I mean, it's, we didn't even know about that. And then the question is, why didn't we know about that? Did Monsanto know about it? What was in their original documents and debates, which hopefully we'll be finding out in the next wave of lawsuits? But did they know about this? The arsenic? Where is it coming from? It's poisoning people. So there are many levels on which people are being attacked, and we're so willing, generally, to, because we don't really want to believe that People who are, you know, from the same area of the world or, or that you know <laughs> or you know of, they're in the newspapers or on TV or whatever, that they, they wouldn't do this to us. But they are. And it's a class issue. It's a class war in a, on a certain level that we haven't framed it as. So the environmental concerns are also class concerns. And unless we link those together, we're going to keep losing. So we have, so one of the essays in the book is by, there are a lot of different people who wrote in the book, and I invited them to submit chapters because I know their work through other places. So Jonathan Latham, who's a really interesting scientist, so he raises the issue is, are we going to just fight one pesticide at a time? Yes, we need to fight against Roundup. And we need to fight against this particular pesticide. Because that, then when we finally win that, they just come back with another one. So now they're using decamba, which has its own problems. And it's bringing up protests all through uh, the Midwest and the United States. But our, and then we'll fight against decamba, and they'll come up with another one. And unless we have, have a different methodology and the 
it's, we're going to be on this treadmill. It's running around in circles, a merry-go-round. And we won't be able to finally save ourselves and save the planet. So where is the precautionary principle? Where is the government that says, no, you have to prove that this is safe before you release that? You think that that simple thing, that simple principle, would be in, would be out there, would be, but it's not. So they're not using the FDA does not do its own testing. The Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. they're not doing their own testing of of any of this material before it's released. They're relying on industry documents and claims that, and assertions that say, oh, yes, this is safe, blah, blah, blah. And we know it's not. We know they're liars. We know that the people who wrote the regulations are from the industry itself originally and who have uh, profitable interests in it. So why aren't... How do we ever think we're going to win against this sort of thing and hold it back and just even save a little breathing space for us, uh, eating space, if you will. How are we going to... So our movement, which is large, needs to reconfigure the way it thinks about these things, and it's starting to do that. But that's part of what the politics of pesticides is about. That's what my book is raising those type of questions and concerns. Well, so... um... I, I mean, in um, the, the scheme of things, it, we should be surprised that the government isn't protecting us. But in a way, I'm not surprised that that's not happening. I've done enough of these shows to know that we do need to be our own advocates and and um, and research anything just to understand what's happening. Um, and I, I think that especially when an industry gets involved that has a lot of money like Monsanto and other industries like this, we can, we can turn a blind eye to the facts that we know or they can be hidden and and then it doesn't come out until people are affected and something like pesticides you know it 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 isn't that you're exposed and suddenly you're sick so it's a little harder to prove that or to see that for people when it can be something that happens over time with long-term exposure that's true that's true but there's more to it right there's that's absolutely true but the way we configure our movements to think, we're taught to think only sort of of ourselves. How do we save ourselves from this chemical? How do we save our family? Or And we don't think of how these things, why they develop and how they are being used and how to get off that treadmill and fight the whole set up the way it is. So you have a quote uh, from Henry Kissinger, for instance, who was asked about food aid years ago. And for those who are younger, Henry Kissinger used to be a national security advisor in the U.S. and the Secretary of State and the author of uh, large mass murders in Vietnam and elsewhere. And he was asked, uh, he said, to give, quote, to give food aid to a country just because they are starving is a pretty weak reason. And by food aid, Kissinger meant not only food, but he was talking about U.S. policy. So yeah, so he's trying to, and he, that's an accurate portrayal of what U.S. policy is. 
They do not give food to countries because people are starving. It does not come out of the goodness of their hearts. They do it for a reason. and They're using food as a weapon. It's weaponized, mm-hmm. and it becomes part of what we all around the world, people are calling the neoliberal, which has nothing to do with liberal or conservative. Neoliberal is a different kettle of fish there. And it becomes part of their attack around the world, part of the structural adjustment programs they're using to reconfigure the world, to displace local farmers everywhere and take over their land. And as you know, um, some of the other people that you've had on your show have talked about some of that and the ownership of the land and the retaking of it. And it's not only the land, they're also doing that with the human and biological cell. So there's a colonization both outwardly and inwardly by these companies taking over our cells, taking over our biological processes in order to make money from them and also to control some of them to the extent that they think they could at the same time. So in our movements, I guess, is a roundabout way of trying to respond. Um, I like to quote often from Steve Biko, the famous uh, South African freedom fighter there, who was killed in the jail a while ago. He was an anti-apartheid activist. And he said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. And if Mm -hmm. we are the oppressed, which we are, then the way we frame the issues and the way we see our own potential and the way we link up with other people all around the world becomes crucial in if we are going to be able to defeat these forces that are very powerful and have trillions of dollars, literally. And there are places that are winning about that, but around that. But it's difficult, to say the least, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it could get very despairing at times. But yeah. when you read about or hear about people that are successfully fighting back and are making uh, headway there, then it becomes, and, and creating beauty in the midst of all this ugliness, then it becomes really uh, wonderful to be alive in that in those moments. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Mitchell Cohen, and we're discussing his book, The Fight Against Monsanto's Roundup, The Politics of Pesticides. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. 
The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with uh, Mitchell Cohen. We're discussing his book, The Fight Against Monsanto's Roundup, The Politics of Pesticide. Pesticides. So, um, Mitchell, when when we're looking at all of this being an issue, I mean, we know it's causing health problems. We're exposing everybody. And in your book, you and you mentioned this in the first segment, you talked about when they're spraying just everywhere to kill mosquitoes. Um, what should people do to stop this from happening in their area? Well, that's a great issue. First thing you do is you get together with other people in your area and you say stop and you raise the issue. We in New York did that. We didn't know from pesticides back in 1999. Most of us, a few of us did, but and we once they started spraying, we, this became an emergency for us, and we educated ourselves. So a lot of the activists, myself included, didn't were not scientists, and yet we were able to see through sort of the fogging in a way, and we were able to educate ourselves really quickly, like we're talking about days, really quick. You educate yourself, and you take action. And what kind of action? You could go to your local pretty standard for any issue, right? You go to your local government, but what's, uh, you could picket line, you could write letters, you could go to raise the issue, but the most important thing is whatever, there's a million things to do. You could find out targets in your community that would, that there are banks that are funding some of these companies. There are always some local connection to every issue here. And so you wanna target those local connections and try to get them to stop whatever it is that they're doing. And we can often succeed in that. It's not hard on the local level to do that. It just requires persistence and people getting together with others, even when you're seen as a crank or even when you're, <laughs> you're seen as a lunatic in a way. And then all of a sudden, it, started, it starts changing. So... 
I remember when we were fighting against the use of Roundup in the parks first, and the person who was, it's, uh, I wrote about this story in the book because I really love this story, and the person who was the head of Brooklyn's parks at the time was interested in what we were saying about the spring, partly because his parents were Holocaust survivors from Germany in World War, just before World War II, and we were in concentration camps. And the, what Germany did with uh, spraying there, some of the same chemical companies are involved, both, by the way, in terms of the pesticides as well as that history. So he was actually interested, and we didn't think he would be interested. And he was because of that part and part connection. And so we asked the same thing, what can people do? And we said, well, first you stop the spraying. You stop or the application. It's not only spraying, by the way. Twist ties are a problem also around trees, and there are other mechanisms by which the pesticides get spread out into the environment. Is not only through spraying, but in this case it was. So what do we do? Well, we could say put limits on it. So if it's near a school, you say you notify the school about it. Or, and so they could take messages home to their parents, the children, to their parents and say, well, stop, don't let your kids in these areas. And it creates a mindset then that over a short period of time, it develops into a, a whole different way of thinking and of approaching the questions. Then, so we asked him, he said, well, what should we do and to get rid of these weeds everywhere? Well, why are there weeds everywhere? Well, because there were workers who used to pick out the weeds by hand or using the machinery that would cut the weeds and get it. But because there were these huge cutbacks in the labor force, here we come with uh, the class issue again, because there were these huge cutbacks. There were 80% of the workforce in the parks in New York City were laid off in a, over a five-year period. And... So they weren't cutting the weeds anymore. So we could either say that, well, people should do that or stop laying off the workers and fight together with the unions to prevent that. So it's a fight within the unions to get them to see this as an important question. Also, this is how the environment question, the environmental questions can tie in with class questions. It's a pretty easy tie-in. Or, or, or and... I suggested at the time, why don't we use goats or sheep and to graze in those areas, those large, expansive areas where you want to kill weeds and let them eat it. And <laughs> I'm not saying that this is a solution for all, but it's one of the local, one of many solutions, temporary ones that we suggested. And he was intrigued by that, but he also said, no, this is impossible. You can't use these animals to do that in the middle of the city. But, well, as we persisted over the years, and two years ago, New York finally, finally, we're using goats in Prospect Park and in other large parks around the city to graze in certain areas to kill the weeds rather than spray it with poisons that would kill all life forms within that area. And it worked magically, sort of, it seemed to us. And plus, then you had kids watching the goats and watching the sheep and, 
you know, watching them do their work, <laughs> and, the, mm-hmm. and the goats were totally happy. So, so there's, when we think differently, when we think of natural, uh, how the intersection of things in a natural way and stop thinking of the control, how we try to control everything by, through chemical means or through playing God, actually, with, with our genetic composition and with our environment around us and with the biodiversity around us. You, and when you think more naturally and think of the holistic connections between, say, animals and what they're eating and, and the workers who were laid off that made this necessity then it becomes an interesting thing. So the city had criticized us and condemned us and said, this is stupid and we're not going to do it. And yet now they're doing it to some degree, to a small degree, but they showed that it can be done. And in other parts of the U S it's being done in much larger areas than it is in New York. So what can be done? How do we fight? That's, you know, that's the major question. It's the $62 billion question, right? Mm-hmm. So if, uh, aside from, you know, becoming an advocate, what can somebody do just to protect their family right now while they're working on changing things? What, what can we do to protect ourselves and our family? Well, there are all sorts of, on our website, on the, if you go to www.nospray.com, Dot org, which is the website of the No Spray Coalition. There are a number of alternatives that are listed there what you could do to protect from mosquitoes so that you don't need the spraying or what you do. If you're sprayed, what you can must do immediately to stop um, so that you don't get poisons, although uh, there's so many people that have gotten poisoned by the spraying. It's, Horrific. As I said, I started off by saying a number of people in our coalition died as a result of the spraying or of other ailments that they had that were exacerbated by the spraying. And everybody has some ailment or another, a heart condition, lung condition, um, HIV, AIDS. could be any of these chronic fatigue. All of those and many more are exacerbated by the spraying so that it becomes much worse than it than in an ideal setting. So what can people do is first to stop the spraying. And then uh, in New York, there's a Mount Sinai, um, the Mount Sinai uh, hospital found that the workers who were doing the spraying were contaminated with the spray that they were using and some of them died from it. From uh, And so you work with the unions, or you work with the workers, or you work with the police department union, which was the police were sent to follow the spray trucks, and where they did, the police themselves were getting sick. So you go and you talk to those unions, and you try to create more than just a couple of people, um, although it's important even if it's only a couple of people to stand up there and break the silence. But now I think the silence is pretty broken. And so you 
pull in more people and more people to take an active role in targeting different places in the community that are promoting the groups, the companies that are doing the spraying. So where does Monsanto, say, invest? Bayer is totally susceptible. What if everybody stopped buying Bayer aspirin and started using turmeric, or for example, or something like that? Or what if, you know, what if we could make our whole list of what ifs? What if this, then that? Many ways in which people can find local targets when we start thinking a little bit differently that these people are our enemy and that we need to stop them. They're not upstanding citizens in the community or whatever the garbage is that's put out, the propaganda that's put out. They're our enemy, and what they're doing is killing us and killing this planet, same as some of the other industries that we're involved in. So that's the first thing, is to get together with people and create targets that can be national or international in scope, but have local uh, local places that you can uh, target, in a way, to boycott or to pick it against or to throw at, uh, to block the investing of and so forth. And then there's other, then there's the international way was a lot of times we feel that we can't affect the policies of our own government, especially these days, but not only these days, right? This, uh, the spraying and the uh, pesticides and the genetic engineering went on under both Democrats and Republicans here. It's not a solely Republican thing by any stretch. Clinton and Gore were seen as the administration from Monsanto. That's how some of us knew them back then. They were promoting all this stuff. Jimmy Carter is an advocate of genetic engineering for all the somewhat good things that he's done. This is, uh, you know, it's like, what? So internationally, we can have an effect when we can't affect our own government. So when we correspond and and team up with, especially using the Internet, team up with people who are doing stuff in France or doing stuff in Vietnam or fighting against this elsewhere in the world where it's easier in some ways to, strangely, to reach the decision makers in those countries on an issue like this than it is sometimes to reach our own government in the U.S. And so we do that, and it comes roundabout way. So when then Europe blocks the importing of genetically engineered soy, for instance, from the U.S., which they did, and then that becomes, puts pressure on the local soy farmers here to then say, no, we're not, to give them power to resist, to say, no, we're not going to use genetically engineered soy because we can't sell it in Europe. Or, and that becomes a cycle of resistance that goes all around the world but comes back to the local level. And that's, it's really cool when you see that happening, yeah. uh, that what you're trying to uh, accomplish locally takes off and travels everywhere and then comes back again. But you need people who know how to do some of that. We all know and figure it, but you plan it out. You plan it out with just a few people who get together with your friends and say, okay, how are we going to reach China this week? How are we going to get... If we can't reach our own government, maybe we could reach the Russian government or the Chinese government or the Can- Canadian government or... In fact, some of the um, statistics around bovine growth hormone and the original documents that were condemning 
condemnatory of Monsanto, but that Monsanto was putting out a certain position on bovine growth hormone, and we got documents via Canada into the U.S. that exposed all all the stuff that we were trying to expose around Monsanto and bovine growth hormone, and we couldn't get it from our own government. So it happened in a roundabout way. And that's, so we need to start thinking. I know there's the old saying, right? Uh, act, was it act locally, think globally. It's more than that. We can act globally also and think globally and think of people all around the world who are also in the same fight against the same forces and figure out ways of lining up with them. And there are lots of examples for that. And there are lots of well, examples. So, to so I'm just. I'm going to have to interrupt you. We have to end the show. But is there a way that somebody can get a hold of you or your book or get more information if they want so? Sure, sure. The, go to www.thepoliticsofpesticides.com and the, all the information will be there about the book. And the book was produced by Skyhorse Press. So we could go if you want to you could go directly to Skyhorse but there's a link to that on our website and okay well perfect thank you so much for joining me today and thank you for um, what you're doing to to help save us all really well it goes same to you and same to yeah. everybody listening let's get active that's right. Um, and I, I, if anybody wants my story and what I went through in my health journey, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest. Today we were talking with Mitchell Cohen, and his book was The Fight Against Monsanto's Roundup. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.